Imagine yeah. how scary it would be if you woke up and you there was nobody else in your house and you're like, where the fuck is my family? But you just had this sense that Celine Dion was somewhere in your house. <laughs> Whoa. I'm Alex Higley. And I'm Lindsay Hunter. And, and I'm, I'm a writer, writer but... <laughs> Welcome to I'm a Writer But. Our guest today is Daniel Hornsby. Daniel Hornsby is the author of a novel, Via Negativa. He was born in Muncie, Indiana, and lives in Minneapolis, Minnesota. His new novel is Sucker, a sharp-toothed satire of Silicon Valley and the 1%, in which the black sheep son of an industrial tycoon starts working for a tech pioneer who's running a biomedical startup selling nothing less than immortality, only to uncover the horrifying truth at the heart of her sublime promises. Welcome, Dan. Hey, thank you so much for having me. And everyone, Alex is also on this episode. Welcome, Alex. <laughs> thank you. Welcome, Dan. Hell yeah. I love it. Exciting. What a great, <laughs> this is this is going to be a blockbuster episode. I love to hear it. <laughs> oh, God. Before we start picking your brain, would you please read to us from Sucker? Sure. So I'm just going to read you a little bit of the opening beat here. Okay. Uh, here we go. And actually, a fun little fact here, um, Higley read an early version of this book and helped me, I mean, essentially dug the first line out of the body of the novel. I was going to ask you about that first line. So uh, shout out to our lovely host here, our genius host, Alex Higley. All right, here we go. (laughs) I'm an American, so I always assumed I'd be famous. When it was clear I was no Thurston Moore or David Byrne, I figured I could at least be a crusty hybrid between Malcolm McLaren and David Geffen. And so, in an unlikely move for this black sheep in a family of 24 carat fleeces, I became an entrepreneur and started my own small record label. I ran obnoxious records with my girlfriend, whose album had come out as our third official release. Louise and the rest of Obnoxious had no clue about my devious parentage. When I moved to San Narciso, I lopped the heart off my infamous surname, synonymous as it is with money and evil, and went from Charles Grossart to Chuck Gross. With help of this punk pseudonym, I was able to keep things pretty separate, and figured my notorious bloodline would easily remain discreet from my true passion, my real life. But it turned out I lacked my dad's capitalist knack and had to subsidize the label with the money his money made. I'll admit, I lied to Louise a little about our finances. She was under the impression that we had the support of an eccentric tech millionaire, not a sinister libertarian billionaire slash chairman and CEO of the vast multinational private corporation, but that we also more or less lived in the black. In fact, we'd lived out our entire, uh, our entire run plunged deeply into the red, kept only afloat by paternal subsidy. Obnoxious was my baby, but it was a bastard my parents wouldn't recognize. For me to keep receiving his funds, my father annoyingly required some conventional employment, and my noisy vanity project didn't count. For about three years, I managed to fake him out, but eventually he called my bluff. With a single phone call from his wealth manager, Renata, I was cut off. You have to understand, I had the Buddha's boyhood, spared any hint of suffering, save for the psychic cuts and scrapes inflicted by a self-obsessed father and a Teutonic nanny, along with the mild realization of my scarcity of talent. 
So I had no immune system with which to fight the little particles of woe that would inevitably find their way inside me. I hung up with Renata, packed a bowl, and prepared myself for a dark fortnight of the soul. I bought one of those seasonal affective disorder lamps, and it was May. I was determined to keep obnoxious alive, but I was in desperate need of cash. I owed several audio engineers and one producer a lot of money, and a band was due an installment of their advance. Thanks to a handful of well-received releases, we were just about to rise from boutique status, slowly gaining a national reputation among people who care about these kinds of things. But now that Renata had sniffed out my employment status, all my plans would implode. I'd be penniless until I could find a job that met dad's criteria. Cutting me off was a codependent ploy. For a year or so, I'd been laying the groundwork to someday really and truly break away from my famously evil family. And I think he or Renata might have caught wind of my vague plan. This way, he could snip the cords of the puny safety net I was fashioning for myself before it was strong enough to catch me. Three days after Renata's devastating call, I was baking my face with antidepressant rays and stress buying old 45s on eBay when Olivia called me out of the blue and asked if I'd be free to meet for lunch. It was the first I'd heard from her in years. We'd been close in college, and the two of us had planned to move from Boston to San Narciso together after graduation. She to get her PhD in bio something, me to start my label in the city's flourishing punk and garage scene. She wound up moving here sooner than expected, taking a cue from Bill Gates' playbook and dropping out to birth her company. And it was understood that I'd follow her once I finished school. Instead, I backed out at the last minute and moved to Brooklyn. I came to San Narciso three years later, once the boom was really going and all my bridges in that borough were crispy. But I was too ashamed to reach out and spent four years avoiding her as my embarrassment racked up compound interest. Why had I flaked? At the time, my excuse both to Olivia and myself was my then-girlfriend, a bassist in a second-rate Flatbush dream pop band. But deep down, I knew that relationship wasn't going anywhere. I think it was Olivia's purpose, her righteous mission, that ultimately kept me from making the move. Sure, I had my own aspirations, but these were daydreams next to Olivia's saintly visions. I'll set my automatic cynicism aside for a moment and say that I considered her a friend, one of the closest I've had. While I was accustomed to depressing my parents, I couldn't stand the idea of disappointing Olivia. When I moved west, I told myself I'd get back in touch at some point, but I couldn't bring myself to compose an email or dial her number. Rather than let it grow into something knotted and tangled, I preferred to clip our friendship into a tidy, stunted bonsai. Many minutes after we booked it, I thought about weaseling out of our reunion. I didn't think I'd be able to sit through a report of her successes while my life dissolved. But even I could see the opportunity here. She had a company, and I needed a job. So a few days later, I found myself in the back of an Uber, riding off to one of the popular basement bar restaurants that had popped up in recent months. That was the beginning of the end for me, my first step down a path soggy with blood, not to mention the other human juices, vomit, liquefied organs, incidental semen, some of those symbolic medieval humors, nervous sweat, and piss, my own, excreted as I ran for my life, one that would eventually lead me here, to this dark little box in the land of the dead. Hell yeah. There's a little sample for y'all. Yeah, a little- <laughs> Thanks, little, Dan. A little, ta- a little taste, yeah. I recently saw John Early's uh, comedy show. Is that what people call? I saw his oh, show. Oh yeah. Okay. And um, he was talking about how he doesn't know how, like, uh, you know, to like, 
balance his checkbook or do his taxes, but like he knows how to be a badass, you know, like (laughs) (laughs) we've just raised like a generation of like badasses and no one wants to be a plumber. They all want to be, you know, right. That first line really spoke to me um, as so much in this book did, you know, like that cuts to kind of what we've become as a society um mm-hmm. i i always say to my husband like we it's time for us to go back to hunting hunting and gathering as a society because we have too much time to think and somehow our brains are getting smoother and it felt like this was your futuristic way of taking society back to hunting and gathering oh that's funny yeah <laughs> but i, I want to hear yeah i want to hear your thoughts on that and also tell us a little bit more about that first line and and working with alex and all of it yeah um I think it is this thing where, how can I put this? My brain is, like you said, smooth. It's like a jelly bean in there, Um, both in size and like the actual surface texture. Um, I would say that I think we all can kind of like relate to those aspirations. I don't know what it is as like Americans where like you grow up and you see maybe exploited children on TV. I don't know, but you're like, man, I have something inside me. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Macaulay Culkin, Claire Danes, like the Olsen twins, I think bloom large. I mean, Lindsay wanted to be an actress. So she's like all over this. You guys both have like good actor voices. Oh my God. Uh, There's still time for us, Alex. mm -hmm. You can do it. It is funny how like so many of the biggest and most famous people of all time from America we're kind of child stars. Like we like, we love to like laugh at the Corys or whatever, but you know, like Stevie wonder, Michael Jackson, Taylor Swift, they all had that. They were like babies when they started, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. anyway, that's a t- Corys. Oh, you know, like the, the Feldman. The, oh, the two Corys. Okay. The yep. Corys. I'm, yeah. I'm back. You know, the tragic Corys. I know. Um, yeah, so I think there's just that kind of like aspir. I don't know what it. It's probably just our like really high octane exposure to media all the time mm-hmm. and centering that. Um, but yeah, I think I don't remember exactly how the book started, but um, it was this was like in the pandemic, right, Alex? When we yeah, swapped manuscripts, yeah. yeah. And so I, mean, I was reading Alex's forthcoming book, and he read Sucker. Yeah, what were you going to say? I was just say to be clear, like. All I did was like say maybe this should go first. It was like I barely did anything. Like I, I, I it was. I mean, that was like, no, no, no. I mean, it, it was all there. It was just like it was just like this is a great line. Maybe move this up. That was it. Can we just um, pause for a plug before you go on? Alex is teaching a class called Openings, and it just really. I know. Feels... It's perfect. Yeah. He's like the master opener. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and it was just that like weird move that you just I just needed it. It was perfect. And once it was there, it made perfect sense. I don't know if you guys feel this way, but editing and opening can be incredibly hard, right? Because like usually those first sentences generate the voice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so when you go back to kind of modify that, you're like, am I destroying the DNA of the rest of the book? Mm-hmm. Totally. God. Um, and I feel like yeah. moment, like <clears throat> I think about this a lot with, you know, so much of writing is self-delusion and there's really like no better self-delusion than a really strong opening. Like it's enough to like get you through an entire novel. Even if you're not sure if it's good, you're going back to that first page and you're like, no, 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 there's something here. Like there is, right. I have something, but 
the one thing that really struck me, Dan, about uh, reading Sucker again to talk to you on the show today was how much that opening line applies to Olivia too. And I hadn't really thought of it as also being, you know, Olivia driven in that way, but cause you know, obviously it's so it's Chuck talking about himself, but like it, it's, it's the same exact drive uh, in Olivia. And I would say even on down to like all the hangers on for Chuck and really like all of Olivia's lackeys, it's like that, that opening line really is like a motivator for so many different people in this novel. Yeah. It's what is it? The, I know. Cause like Claire V. Watkins uses it for the title of her second book, like gold fame citrus, right? Mm-hmm. Like the reasons people go West. Um, and I think, you know, like we live in a weird time of kind of like tech fluencers. Mm-hmm. Um, I think like, you know, obviously Steve jobs is maybe at the Genesis of that, where it's like, he was, a celebrity as much as he was a business person. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's obviously true of Elon Musk, who has like used his celebrity, used his kind of influencer status to manipulate crypto and has a strange thrall of fanboys, you know, mm-hmm. like that, like actually that kind of celebrity status is essential to what they do. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's that's kind of gets at another thing I was curious about because to be honest like obviously as you're reading this book as someone in 2023 you're thinking Elizabeth Holmes but at the same time like it's very easy for me to forget that that you know is part of the scaffolding of the novel and I wanted to ask Dan how how early did did kind of the Holmes qualities enter was that a starting point that kind of launched you in a direction that you came back to? Or I, I, I'm curious about like what, even though I read a very early draft of this, I never asked you like what actually was the genesis that got you in into this? Yeah, I mean, it kind of started as a bad joke. Like what if, you know, Theranos were, were actually run by vampires and that's why they need all the blood. <laughs> and then like everything out of that. So that's silly, right? But then everything after that, I'm like, wow, tech is so vampiric. Mm. Like, parasitism is really a way into understanding our relationship with tech, whether that's like uh, the ways in which, you know, our phones sap our attention and our data, like little leeches on our bodies all the time, or, and, you know, and all of that stuff is being kind of stockpiled, all of our data, Um, or, you know, venture capital in the way it feeds off our culture, Um, you know, and the exploitation of like workers at Amazon warehouses. and just the kind of like tech hubris, like you think about these guys who want to live forever um, in their kind of strange Asimov space empires or whatever, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, where it's like they're really trying to like defy death in a truly vampiric way. Mm. Um, and so it just like kept becoming like obvious that that was my way in, you know, and I, yeah. And so it was it as I kind of understood the like parasitic ideas then I could layer that into the book and it could become, become something a little more complex than like the joke, you know? Yeah. Um, Yeah. So that's kind of how she layers in, but it's a, you know, parallel universe version of her where she's like actually smarter and scheming a little bit more Mm -hmm. um, and her charisma makes more sense because there's actually like no accounting for Elizabeth Holmes getting what she got. She has like what I would consider anti-charisma (laughs) which is like being so uncharismatic that it charms people you know 
It's like that unbroken, terrifying eye contact that I think very few of us can live through. <laughs> yes. It's... Yeah. That's like you have to be a true acid veteran to maintain <laughs> that level of eye contact with somebody. I really loved the choice that the that Chuck would be have this like punk DIY sensibility because in a lot of ways it is a sincere and meaningful sensibility, but it is also absolutely meaningless bullshit if it's wielded by the wrong person and it can be right at the same time um and you know it's this story that he tells himself about himself you know um <clears throat> in order to you know convince himself that he's not his father and that he's going to get away from that and i wondered if you could talk a little bit about that choice yeah well i was thinking like elizabeth holmes is such an enigma and that like her psychology actually isn't that interesting to me yeah like, what would make somebody do that? Well, huge piles of money and fame would make them do that. <laughs> um, you know what I mean? Like, her motivations, yeah, she's just going to... So I thought I needed kind of, like, uh, for lack of a better analogy, like a, a Nick Carraway, a person on the outside of this more enigmatic person who could observe these things and would have a way in and kind of access to her. And I was also, you know, at the time, I was thinking about Martin Screlly, I knew these guys in Ann Arbor and they're telling me someone they knew was on uh, like a punk label and they got this really weirdly large advance for their record um, and they put it out and it turns out that money was from Martin Screlly from like, you know, hiking HIV medication. Oh my God. Oh my God, what? And that kind of like parasitic pharma bro thing, I tried to kind of infuse, you know, Martin Screlly had like the one-off Wu-Tang Clan yeah, CD, right, right. things like that. And so I wanted a little bit of that in there. Um, and so he, I don't know, he embodies a little bit of that, but like from a genre of music that I think is even more like uh, paradoxical, I guess, for him. There's so many times when he's having a conversation with someone and they're saying something that matters, like matters in a real way, but also matters for the plot. And he just tunes out. <laughs> Uh -huh. I love that. I love that. <laughs> it's so wonderful because it's like a it's a great way for you as the writer to give clues but not give it all away. <laughs> yeah. Um, and for him to just be like, and then she just kept on going, but I my mind started to wander. <laughs> well, I love like, in, I... in horror films like you can kind of see over the the main character's heads a lot. Where you're like, yes. do not go in that cave, dude. <laughs> like, guys, there are gonna be like golems in that cave. <laughs> Please, you know. I just watched a scary movie with a cave. Did you watch Significant Other? No. Oh, okay. Never Love mind. a cave. Love a cave. Great cave. Is it on Hulu? That, that movie gives great cave. You know what? I don't think it is on Hulu, which is shocking for me. I want to say to all the, you know, listeners out there who love caves, there are a lot of caves in the book. They're really <laughs> spooky. Uh, Chuck sleeps in a cave one night. Mm -hmm. so, That's you right. Know, he does. I just want to get, like, those cave readers. All those cave heads, like, pick it up. You love They've caves? You They've like to spelunk? Waiting. Spelunk into this book. It's waiting for you. <laughs> don't spelunk in real life. Okay, that's stupid. I, I think, you know, don't get on a helicopter. Don't get on a small plane flown by a doctor. Right. Do not get into a, a submarine. No. Mm -mm. And At that point, you need to go back to hunting and gathering. because you're. And do not spelunk. Like, I'm sorry. Your life is going too well if you have, like, the bandwidth to spelunk. That's the thing. We shouldn't have more than 30 minutes a day to think about our lives. That's my... That's my... That's, that's a no, no reflection. 
<laughs> no self-exploration. No, it only leads to idiocy. <laughs> I like this this uh, anti-interiority coming from a writer. From a writer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I reached my good. limit. My absolute yeah. limit. I'm just, I'm like Hemingway now. You're like, no literacy, actually. <laughs> yeah, right. no reading, no books. Exactly. You'll just start thinking about the human condition, the nature of suffering. Right. The vastness I'm, of time. You don't need that. I'm going to go lay on my sidewalk and let the rain fill my mouth. I love it. I oh, love damn. it. I'm done. Um, damn. That's a great way to end the biography. Okay. <laughs> just keep that in mind. Um, I'd love to talk about Chuck's voice um, because it is very unique and um, like so funny and full of bullshit. And I just want to know where he came from and how you sustained it. Yeah. Okay. Um, I really do like a very propulsive first person narrator and I know he's fallen a little out of fashion, but Saul Bellow is like truly a fountain of language and his first person narrators, especially are so charismatic and extreme. Um, like Henderson, the rain King, where you have this kind of like strange psycho American going to Africa <laughs> Um, something about that voice I just found incredibly magnetic. Um, and obviously like I, I could never achieve this, but like Lolita also has that, right. Mm -hmm. Where it's like someone who's truly awful kind of seducing you with jokes mm -hmm. and little in jokes and things like that. Um, yeah. And I thought like, okay, if he, he's someone who can kind of reflect on his own condition, if we really want to like follow this poor little rich boy, He's going to need to have some like self-awareness and uh, some facility with language. You know what I mean? Just mm -hmm. to kind of like render this story for us. Um, so he kind of came after that and it kind of made sense to me. I, I have him in my mind. He wanted to be like the next Tao Lin mm -hmm. and it didn't quite pan <laughs> out, you know, like that he had some aspirations and maybe like could have been a writer if he stuck to it, you know? And then instead he, you know, I mean, and it's a, it's a noble idea. If you think about like, I don't know, these famous rich people, like, uh, there was the, they call her the bebop baroness who like, uh, took care of Thelonious Monk and Charles mm -hmm. Mingus and a few other jazz musicians in Europe or, uh, like Peggy Guggenheim, people like that, who like, it's obviously you dance with the devil when you're getting your money from rich people. Uh, I think a lot of people who've like worked with catapult are realizing that, mm -hmm. but uh, you know, that there is something like, like even with like Elizabeth Koch, right. Whereas like, I kind of gave her a pass because of that literary work for a while, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So I think there's some like potentially admirable things about Chuck that he is trying to kill in himself and maybe does finally killing himself by the end of the book but there's just like a one little percent of him that maybe isn't you know i guess the one percent or something you know what i mean there's like one little percent of him that could like maybe grow and be fostered that you know because like i don't know if we were born to billionaires um you guys aren't billionaire heirs or heiress right neither mm. of you have yeah. No, no you don't I'm, have that. Hundred air, uh, air. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You don't have that Lockheed Martin money. Um, <laughs> you know, like I think the noble thing to do would be to bow out from the awful flows 
but who knows? I don't know. It's pretty seductive. Was it hard to like modulate that in Chuck, like figure out how much self-awareness, how much self-loathing, how much um, like benevolence he was going to give these other people? Um, or, or was it the kind of thing where you, you kind of had a mix that worked as you were, as you were drafting? Yeah. I just kind of fig- tried to figure out like what would, I don't know what would like uh how would he actually react and what would seduce him you know mm-hmm. like there is a time where he's like okay this is just a job so i can get money and then he gets kind of like sucked into the bullshit of you know in this case the caverns but the silicon valley kind of you know life and thinks he can have it both ways which i think a lot of people do mm-hmm. um yeah so what i really wanted was for like the opportunity for redemption to kind of like hit him in the face several times throughout the book (laughs) and him like not be present for it, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but like almost grasping, you know, there's something so I satisfying. I love reading when money can solve things because it happens for him again and again, like Louise is really stressed and he like throws a bunch of money at her says, I'm booking you a spa retreat, you know, like, and I always like, I'm always like, oh, yes, that solved the problem. And what is that? Why is that so enjoyable to read, even though I know how problematic it is? But it's like, oh, yeah, you know, he can just he can just spend the money and then it's fine. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's it's quite a lubricant, I yeah. think, in life. Uh, and I don't know, really. I think, you know, for him, it's like, yeah, he can pull off these because it looks like work, I guess. Right. Like if she doesn't know he's rich then if he's buying her all this stuff, it looks like he's like using his own money from work or whatever is saved. And that translates like into time in this indirect way. Mm -hmm. And like super rich people, their money doesn't translate into time or care because it's like infinite. Mm -hmm. I think is part of it. Yeah. They don't like, I was, I always liked watching succession because, and I know your book has been like succession meets bad blood people. Yeah. That's been the comparison. Sure. It's apt. But if you notice like the actor's body language, when they're in like a beautiful space, like they're just lounging in these gorgeous chairs or, you know, like picking off whatever from the buffet and like nothing Mm -hmm. is noticed or appreciated. It's very casual. Yeah. And and it's maddening, but it's also like, I could see myself doing that. (laughs) Right. I mean, that is the the awful truth of just being a human where it's like you, the baseline shifts all the time where you like, really want your short story published in cactus butthole review (laughs) and then you like really want your novel to come out your novel comes out and you're like is it getting enough attention and then you're like uh oh so then maybe you sell the movie rights but you're like oh well the movie get made and then the movie gets made and you're like will the actor be big and you know what i mean like it just never ends it's just an unending chain of bullshit that you can kind of uh get it i don't know adjust to um, with Succession, though, I'm, I, I will just go on a tangent here. It was really funny to kind of have that come out while I was writing it, because, like, I didn't see, I didn't watch the show because I knew it was kind of in the neighborhood of what I was trying to do mm-hmm. until, so I had, like, a, I had a couple drafts um, going, and then I started watching the show, and I was like, okay, so we're kind of tapping into the same vibe. Um, but then what was interesting was, like, there were a lot of really good, like, 
secondary things about the show. Like I think Rachel Syme did a piece on their fat on the fashion of the super rich mm-hmm. and like what rich people actually wear, stuff mm-hmm. like that, which was very helpful to me. Yeah, it's simpler, right? It's simpler, like than you would imagine. Yeah, like um, you, they would never really wear something with like a brand on it. For example, right. is yeah. like a good. There was a piece about I'm I'm working on this new book that has like eco terrorists at sea, and a character goes to she's like she she and her family aren't aren't wealthy. Her uncle like takes people out on party boats, and uh, but she and her uncle go to the Palm Beach International Boating Show, and I was reading about that. And there are like people who who are greeters there and they'll like they can see a rich person a mile away like they can just tell by their clothes the quality of their shoes and they'll kind of like pick them from the crowd of like other people who are like hi man i'm just here to see some boats this is great (laughs) and i'm like so it it is funny that like it's very obvious to the people who know how to look Mm. yeah i mean like i my version of like fancy is like Ann Taylor, right? Like that's like, uh-huh. the limit of what I could possibly afford if I'm trying to sure. look nice for something. But um, like we have family members who like, that's nothing, you know, like, and, and things I've never even heard of or knew to even care about or notice, you know, like it's right. a totally different foreign world. Right. And to think like for them, like, a pair of $3,000 shoes, which are like somebody could ostensibly pay for, I guess. Those are like almost disposable. Like the idea is that it's both expensive and like, yeah, whatever. This right. Hermes scarf or whatever. Like I have a, a bunch of them and they're disposable in a way. Or like none of them are supposed to be important. I mean, it's like the a way language, it would... right? It's like a, it's like a language that they actually speak and that they fill their days with in like yeah, or in like, like a real way like like encoding I, your body yeah yeah exactly. i mean there's like there's like an at there's like a thing with athletes too like this like there's watch brands i feel like that just cater to athletes and that like only nba oh, yeah. players and nfl player where, where where you wouldn't even know what the fuck like what what is that like and it's like oh it's like a twenty thousand dollar watch or whatever right yeah but, i just um, read a whole article that like individual watchmakers are what people go to now like they're not going to like rolex or tag hoyer or whatever they're going wild. to like individual watchmakers and those people are making gobs of money because of it that like, must be what the tinkers guy is doing now <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah but it's like a completely different world that i would have no idea unless it was written about in the new york times that's so wild. An app I, I want to be one of those little little dudes, you know, in an apron, and <laughs> you've got like a white mustache and like a strange European accent. You could be one of those dudes. Do I'm it. like, oh, I would, I would make you a little watch. Or something. <laughs> I don't know. I'm like, what accent was that? I don't even. Know. I don't know. It was good though. It was weird. That's what and I'm gonna do. It's in you. It's already. I wanted to ask you about um, probably my favorite thing about this book, like just the thing that is like most joyful to me as a reader is the physical spaces, the man-made physical spaces in the book. Uh-huh. And I was thinking about rereading it. I was thinking of, of that, that Milhauser novel, Martin Dressler. Oh yeah. And just kind of like the magical kind of like, uh, it, like the, the possibility of man-made rooms containing just like either nature or like elements that you wouldn't expect inside and there's so many incredible 
aspects that are similar to that in the Kenosis building in, in Sucker. And I was wondering if there was more of those rooms or if you like, I, I feel like it would be so addictive to create these, these spaces for these people to inhabit. And I was just, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about building, sure. building rooms in, in fiction. Uh, do you remember, I mean, like Milhauser was, if you got into Milhauser, like when you're starting out writing, like that stuff, it's like perfect Calvino American methadone or something. You know what I mean? Like it he's was amazing. Like, yeah. He's yeah. amazing. He's, I think he's underread at this point. Point. like martin dressler i think you could hand anybody and they'd be like what the fuck is this like, i know i think it's that thing where we've a lot like people our age white people our age uh have like forsaken anything kind of vaguely twee yeah and so he has a little of that like mm-hmm. okay you were in a tin house or some mcsweeney's and you have some magic in you you know we all know mm-hmm. like very good writers who who like did some magic or fables or something and that's, <laughs> you know what I mean? And that's just passe yeah. now in yeah, this yeah. funny way, but it's hard to, you know, you look at those, like that, what was it? The 30 under 40, 40 and you remember the New Yorker? What is it? The mm-hmm. 40 under 40, 30 under 40, whatever. Um, yeah. And there was like, so many people were like, it's a hospital full of fairies, <laughs> right? you know? Oh, and that's just like, do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. <laughs> and we're all like, yeah, I'm gobbling that shit up. <laughs> and like, I think, Kelly Link is probably the only person to kind of survive that with her fan base intact. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe a few others. Uh, yeah, the spaces were really fun to design and, and think about. Like, I really wanted, I really like those kind of contradictory images of like a plant growing out of a computer, you know, mm-hmm. like organic stuff and inorganic stuff together. And tech, you know, I think so much about tech and tech campuses and really just like the underlying philosophy is this domination of nature and sequestering it Mm -hmm. and mastering it, whether that's like mortality, like we've talked about, or, um, you know, like I think a lot of these people do want to like genetically modify themselves down the road or go into space, you know, all this stuff that's kind of about like domination of your environment. Um, And so it was fun to kind of dream them up. And I also didn't want to do exactly like, I didn't want to totally recreate the tech spaces that already exist. Mm. Like I didn't want everything to look like the Google campus, which is funny to me that you have like all these adults being treated like little babies at daycare and they get to play like a Nintendo 64 while they dream up their code. And I but feel I also like, I feel yeah. like that's like almost outmoded now, you know, because like every little startup looks like that now. Right. Yeah. And it's like kind of a cliche of those depictions. So I wanted something that like had its own flavor and maybe laid bare the motivations of, of like Olivia mm. a little more clearly. So I went with this kind of gothic thing since there's like a gothic dimension to the book. Um and you know, maybe I could yeah, I could totally see, you know, Elon Musk kind of like getting into something like that. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. okay, maybe he dates some other creepy Canadian woman <laughs> and all of a sudden he's into that, you know? Shania Twain. Yeah, Shania Twain. <laughs> and she's like, that don't impress me much, man. <laughs> I okay, totally so you that. have a fucking self-driving car. <laughs> God, I love Shania. She's great. I, I can't what a gem. you would call her creepy. She was just the first Canadian woman I could think of. Oh, yeah. Shania, Celine Dion. 
Sure, that would Celine be great. That, but yeah, Celine Dion actually would be perfect. He's that too young for her. <laughs> uh, Celine would be great. Could you imagine, man? No, I mean she, she actually could be a vampire. Oh, uh, that'd be great. She, I mean, if it, if she just like had a uh, like a, a news, what the fuck is it called? Uh, a press conference. She had a press conference and she was like, guys, that's how I'm addressing the world, guys. Uh, guys, <laughs> uh, hi, hi, guys. That's very Celine. Uh, I'm a vampire. Everybody would be like, "Yeah." Mm-hmm. You know how some people have those personalities that you're like, "Oh, that person knows things about the world that I can never know." Mm-hmm. Like, uh-huh. like she's seen dimensions that I can't see, and she doesn't even know that she's that other people can't see them. That's mm-hmm. the kind of person Celine Dion is. God, that's you know what's funny. Yeah. I I feel exactly the opposite. <laughs> <laughs> Because, and here's why, I saw her interviewed, I don't know, a year ago or something, and she was talking about how the only thing she eats is graham crackers and peanut butter, and I was like, uh, what? See, she knows something that we don't yeah. know. Yeah. Uh, well, may- maybe. I think it also just might be a void. It's just like, there's nothing, it might just be like an empty parking lot there. I don't know. It's uh, just like, I don't know. These are the deep questions at the heart of humanity you know that's like, right that's right questions of the human heart go back to hunting and gathering because this is the conversation <laughs> oh god okay all right you you've heard it here folks don't read like don't I need watch to any out. movies that's don't right. think don't think yeah i just need to like carry a club around in a basket a club in a basket out. yeah <laughs> wow like that this is what we got to go back to. so you're saying you're saying you have to kind of hunt and gather kind of at the same time yeah and you just right. like you're ready for either man yeah. that's same that seems like a lot i'm just barefoot and hairy wandering the world before before we, we, oh sorry yeah no i'm sorry just before we leave celine entirely imagine yeah. how scary it would be if you woke up and you there was nobody else in your house and you're like where the fuck is my family but you just had this sense that celine dion was somewhere in your house <laughs> whoa and she's like She's like, every night in my dreams, I yeah. see you. I feel you. Dude, how scary would that be? That would hunting be. you in your house? I and she's like the one that else. she acts. She's like the one who killed. She probably sank the Titanic. Think yeah. about that. Oh, exactly. <laughs> because she's like a time lord or something. She she does have a time lord quality to her. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Okay. okay Bookspiracy. Had, had to get that books- out. Yeah. It is a you heard it on Bookspiracy, which That's is right. the, like shadow title of I'm a Rider Butt. <laughs> I thought you were going to say because she has like face stiffness now, right? Like what she the has fuck? something. Yeah, she has like something that's making it so that she can't. Oh, yeah. She has like a tragic. Yeah, she has a bad disease. And I thought you were going to say, imagine how scary it would be if you woke up and you couldn't move your face. But no, it was if you woke up and your family was gone. Like, where's Carol? <laughs> and she was like, I contain multitudes, oh, yeah, including your family. Junior! Oh, Junior! My, <laughs> my children, Junior and Azempic. <laughs> do, do you think Celine Dion's ever said the word Junior. 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 Let's go to Carl. Yeah, because she's like, oh, <laughs> there you go. She's like a crazy physical comic. Like any interview I've seen with her, she's like Jim Carrey. Really? Like she's bending her face, her body. She's wild. Yeah, that's why I think she's like out of the, like of another dimension. I think she's terrifying. There's something yeah. really scary about her. It's oh, sad. Yeah. 
I, I agree, and that's power, okay? Mm. She's glimpsed something that we haven't glimpsed. You think there's like a Cthulhu like yeah, yeah. presence that she like she's gazed into the void and seen untold horror. I think mm-hmm. she's and then has kind of retreated. Void. Yes. And she's kind of like a vessel for an ancient darkness. I do think that, that knows no bounds. Yeah. yeah because well, I, if yeah, you absolutely. look at her, you know how you know you ever seen those things where they'll show like how asymmetrical somebody's face is like they'll yeah. double the right side or double the left if you look at a picture of her the right side of her face it looks like someone just hit tab like four times <gasps> it's like floating Whoa. off to the side okay, and if you were to I'll double it, it right there now. would be like i don't know there would be like wyoming in between her eyebrows it's like really intense i always feel like she's kind of like if you, if she's the like platonic ideal of a cruise ship singer yeah you know what i mean Where it's like maybe she like eats them and yeah. she comes off the you stage I mean? she walks into the crowd yeah exactly right like, yeah she's just, like the motor for the boat like somehow like, like yeah <laughs> infinite energy at our God. and her husband who is that guy the old guy he's dead yeah. he's dead he okay he was her vocal coach when she was a teenager that guy is oh, oh that's yeah. normal right I know it's messed up. She was bullied at school and called vampire owing to her teeth and skinny frame. See, you knew. Holy shit. Conspiracy. And they called her Canine Dion. That does like that doesn't scan. You know what I mean? Like that's really (laughs) they could do better than that. They could do better than that. Vampire's better. It's meaner. You say like Celine Diablo or that's good, right. Canine I don't know. Dion, that, yeah, Canine little, Dion sounds like little Rinton clunky. Tin to me. Yeah, yeah. It does. It does. <laughs> okay, sorry. Holy shit. I apologize. Um, no, it's great. I'm here for it. <laughs> when I post the Instagram for this episode, it's going to be Celine Dion's face with your book cover. I think Perfect. that's great. And oh just God, stretch her t- those canines for yeah, us. Yeah, really stretch them out. <laughs> Take that into Photoshop for me. I, wanted to, talk, I wanted to talk about um, the part that I laughed at the hardest in this book because it's a joke that you lay the groundwork for all throughout the book. (laughs) And I Uh am sorry if I'm spoiling this for anyone, but I have to talk about it because it was such a delight. It's that his father owns a fleet of zebras. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Zebras are terrible creatures is the, is the, you know, the baseline that we understand all throughout the book, the zebras are mentioned, you know, like, and he, his father loves the zebras. They're like the light of his life. He loves them more than his family probably. And they're, you know, obviously a sign of status. And then the family's all together and they're watching uh, this robotic bird that Chuck's brother's company has made that can surveil things. Uh And they're all like marveling at that. And then, out of nowhere a zebra comes and just fucks that bird right up and just destroys it and i cried laughing at that it felt like it felt like i had been like i i didn't see it coming i just knew the zebras were there i thought that was the joke and then and then it's look how just terrible these creatures are i love it i'm I'm really glad you liked it (laughs) even thinking of it now i explained it to my kids i was dying I love that. So here's a weird bit of trivia, I guess, or whatever. Um, You know, I went to school in Kansas. And if you drove, I guess, like, so I was in Manhattan, Kansas. And so if you drove from Manhattan, Kansas to like Lawrence or KC or Topeka, you would sometimes you would see zebra on the highway. What? What? And apparently there was some rich guy 
who maybe not even that rich, but they had like three or four zebra. And I was always just, I always thought that was so weird. And like, what person would have them? How did they get them? You know what I mean? Yeah. And there is this like power thing that like rich people have done for a really long time where, you know, you kind of like show off your dominance by having a kind of strange, you know, I have a blue monkey. Yeah. It's actually boom. Michael Jackson. Uh, like emperors and shit like that, you know, have a lion <laughs> lying around. It just it's a flex. several servants, but it's fine. Oh yeah, it's the whole point. <laughs> um, yeah. So I don't know, and it just like the absurdity of the kind of person who could like move heaven and earth and have these like big, stinky, and hyper violent creatures around, you know. And I love all of God's creatures, but like. <laughs> I just like would never part of my so don't get you know don't go into caves uh and don't don't mess with zebra or chimpanzees no was the chimp the one that ripped that fit lady's face off oh god yeah exactly yeah don't get into a car with a chimpanzee oh never never just yeah, I mean, you know, like I take my kids to the zoo all the time and they love the zebras and it's great to watch them and they only ever just stand around eating or pooping. And so I loved that you gave them a whole new life in this book where we could see that they're, you know, we have to accept them for what they are. Yeah, man. They're they're jacked too. Like take a look yeah. at that thing the next time you they're take glutes, your kids to man. the zoo. Mm-hmm. Like they're they they're fighting off lions, you know, they're not they're not suckers. Yeah. They can be flawed, okay? We don't have to just like yeah. like patronize them and condescend to them exactly they can be shitty it's okay yeah uh alex would you receive the gift if it was offered to you uh no 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 really that was a quick answer yeah no all of it is scary absolutely not you wouldn't want to live forever and no. and be able to climb buildings and no 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 commune with an animal no uh-uh i don't even like animals <laughs> damn I, like damn <laughs> We were at the zoo the other day, and I was, like, thinking, I was, like, I would rather have a concussion right now than oh be God. at the zoo. Not the a single fucking... animal delights you? Mm, no. What about the red panda? No, I don't care. I, I just, like, when you're at the zoo, all you're seeing is, like, all these dads that look like they're in good Charlotte. And, like, <laughs> it's just, Shit. like, it's the worst. And, like, everybody's just, like, fucking, like, God, like, where's the dipping dots and all this shit? Uh-huh. Oh my god! But I mean, that's a zoo. So if we're talking about animals, apart from that, uh, neutral. Yeah, I don't know. Like a deer goes in your yard, you're like, yeah, oh, I like whatever. that. No, yeah, yeah, no, I yeah. like that. Yeah, deer in the yard, great. Raccoon in the wild, great. It, like if an animal like randomly blesses you, sure. As a fox, kind of coyote, and a Joy absolutely. Williams way. Yeah, yeah, love all that. I like, okay. yeah, I like street animals street critters street yeah. critters but you know if you're like i don't know beyond that no i'm i have very limited uh appreciation okay. uh, i i have to say i love i love every animal yeah no uh, you're a lover of animals yeah i love them i think they're fucking sick um <laughs> they're just insane and so cool and probably i mean other than the human animal obviously we have some things going for us but we're, it's we're pretty you know fucked up <laughs> We took it too uh, far. We took it we too took far. It's way too far. It's gone yeah, on too long. I know. And I say this as god. a mother. <laughs> oh god. Yeah, you do kind of like if you don't have kids, and I'd love to I'd love to have some kids 
one of these days. But like, yeah. you forget like how much the zoo factors into your life. You know what Listen, I mean? Okay, I gotta tell you something. Dude. I fucking love the zoo. My husband loves the zoo. We love the zoo. So the you zoo could be people. one of those people. I mean, oh totally. Oh yeah. I mean, also I mean, it's sad at the zoo. Yeah. So it's both of those things. It's like, oh, this kind of sucks that these animals have to like pretend like that painting of woods is woods. Do you guys go to Brookfield Zoo? We do both. And Brookfield Lincoln Zoo Park has more Brookfield, Brookfield Zoo has more molderamas, so we go there when they have new molds. They do have a lot. Oh yeah, because your 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 child loves those. That is yes. like so endearing. Yeah, he's a big. What big a special human. kid! That that's like I find that so sweet. It is. It's yeah. He's he's always had a collection of something. Um, wow, what a sweet little guy! Right now he's right now he's co working on collecting every sideshow Bob thing. He's wow! Side show Holy bug. shit! What he's a... got a lot of time on his hands. Yeah, good luck, buddy. You gotta go amazing. back to hunting and gathering. Yeah, he's gathering sideshow bobs. That's right. You're right, and he's hunting sideshow bobs. Yeah, he's really figured it out. Yeah. Um, Dan, would you receive the gift? I would not. I think. Ah, oh, man. I just I do kind of want to know. You know, I want to know about the sweet embrace of death or whatever. I want to. I want to taste that flavor. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like at some point, I I think lives are meant to end, and uh, yeah, I I think I I wouldn't mind that one weird orgasmic glimpse or whatever it is when you die. And yeah, the gift seems cool. I would like get like maybe slightly genetically modified and still die. That would mm -hmm. be fine. Like, if, uh, what are you looking to get into? Yeah, you know, like uh. Some animal powers, I think. Like, you just kind of inject me. I get, like, stripes and claws. <laughs> or, like, uh, I can echolocate or something. You know what I mean? Oh, wow. Yeah. That'd be cool. Yeah. Breathe something underwater. like that. I'd like to breathe underwater. Yeah. Yeah. That's like, just, like, one. optional gills or, like, uh, heal from wounds faster. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that kind of shit. That. That'd be good. I would, I would, you could shoot me up with that. If you're, uh, you know, in tech and doing all this CRISPR shit and you need a guy, I'm here. Fly me to a private island, shoot me up with crazy bat DNA, but don't make me immortal. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, if you get bat DNA, then how? Then you probably live as long as a bat, right? Well, how long do they live? Uh, some some gray bats can live to be 60. Okay. 60? That's a, that's a life. That's a yeah, life. And, they'll, and they'll like travel with their friends on their migratory routes like wow. for decades. I got the animal facts, guys. How long does a goose live? That I do not know. I'm not. I'm not an authority on geese, but I'll look it up and I'll text you later. I Thank feel like you. not long. Is that what you'd want to be, Alex? Mm, yeah, maybe. Just like Ugh. waddling around. You'd be a cute goose, being... man. Hey, thank you. I think you would. You would like rocket. I appreciate that. Uh, I, I just Google ten to twenty years. 10 to 20. Okay. That's not bad. Pretty good. Not bad at all. Those were probably our best years as people, right? Between 10 and 20. Ooh, uh, wow. I don't know. There's some uh, there's some messed up stuff that happens. I don't know. Isn't that like Ignorus's bliss years? I mean, yeah. I guess I you know. like music sounds better. That's at true. That time. Whoa. <laughs> Wait, you know you what I mean? That? that it sounds better? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it just does. Like, and then that's why you chase that dragon for the rest of your oh, life. Oh, I see what you're saying. Okay, okay. Because you're just a little chump mm. and you don't know. But you know isn't there something incredible? Okay, you you're kind of a bad example for this, Dan. Actually, both of you kind of are, I feel like, because you guys both listen to new stuff all the time. I feel like you're both like seekers of new music. 
I try, but I also just kind of am like, I guess I'll listen to the Beatles. You know what I mean? (laughs) I think there's something like now when I go back and listen to the shit that I've always listened to, it like hits so fucking hard sometimes where it's like, oh my God. Yeah. And you want to access that, right? Like I I listen to old stuff all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Way more than like my husband does. He's all, he's like the new music freak. Mm -hmm. Um, But like, yeah, because you want to access that thing that you felt for the first time. Right. And you can still I think reading can kind of be like that too, where like, I don't know. It's like, there's, I feel like I have kind of two modes of reading and sometimes I'm reading stuff and I'm like, this is pretty good. This is keeping me going almost like food. Mm -hmm. And then sometimes you have like a meal, Yes. you know, and it like hits and you're like, this is why I read books or write books or whatever. When's the last time that a book did that for you? Oh my God. Well, I did, I reread. The end of vandalism, which was a Higley wreck, I believe. Ooh. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I, that's like a book I could read every year until I die. Wow. Maybe yeah. like I just think it, it contains like the whole world in it in a funny way. It's so funny. It's so deep and still kind of elusive. Like, what does it mean? You know? Um, Classic yeah. Drury. Yeah, and it just like you're like fuck. That's that's the thing. You know? Like it's funny. It's deep uh it's fun to talk about with friends too like i feel like whether it's like you dan or like if willie's reading it like you always end up like sending a paragraph to a friend or like talk like i remember dan we've talked about how weird the pov is and i remember Mm -hmm. you were talking about how it's like it's like medieval almost it's like like the way uh the the in and out you said remind you of like medieval literature or something i remember being like what the fuck is he talking about it's insane that book is so cool i really and i've been kind of into that idea too like the roving consciousness and as a from a narrator or something you know and and that book does it so well or like the paths in it anyway uh, that's that's probably too much information about that book but that's one that really hit me like that yeah i think I would take the gift, except for the fact that I've had Invisalign since February. Mm. So you don't want to backtrack? No, it's that, like, with Invisalign, anytime I want to eat or drink something that's not water, I have to take them out and clean them and brush my teeth. You have to wear them all day? Yeah, I have to wear them all day and all night. What the fuck? Really? eat anything or drink anything, I have to take them out, clean them, brush my teeth before I put them back in, et cetera, et cetera. And I feel like with the gift, you have to constantly kind of do the same thing, because otherwise Mm. you shrivel into this withered... Oh, you're saying like you got to keep drinking that blood. We're got to keep, you know, it's like it seems, and also that's not easy to do. <laughs> but maybe it'll become easier the more the gift evolves. But like, yeah, and I think you could like pick an area where there are a lot of shitty people. You know, like like if you just drink the blood of like people who design scatter bombs or something. True. 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 You know what I mean? Right. Like you have a kind of like Unabomber criteria where you're like, you have to, you've like destroyed humanity and you just like live in Oklahoma and drink oil barren blood. True. But you know, but that also seems like a big life change. And I just, you know, yeah. Oh, that's not close to what you're doing right now. (laughs) You're not drinking the blood of the rich. (laughs) I would, if I could. So watch out rich. All right. Those are going to hunt and gather the rich. Oh, there you go. Oh my God. This brings it full circle. Does it work? Does Invisalign work? Yes, it works great. Uh, I had a I had a crossbite. Speaking of terrifying uh, Celine Dion canine teeth, 
Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. My teeth were like caving in toward the center of my mouth on the side. So what? Yeah. Cause uh, for a lot of reasons, but no, they're like, they've, they're on their way back to being normal. God, orthodontists and dentists are such fucking pieces of shit. I know. If there's when any, I was a kid, I was any like, dentist That's a listening, scam. you should you should honestly just get out of here. Like, leave. Yeah, orthodontists. There goes our yeah. dentist contingent. God, they're such scam artists. They are, man. God, they well, really you know that are. A lot of that isn't regulated. I believe some of it. it is. Like the like hygienists have like a regulation body, but like some of the dentist stuff isn't. So that's always my. Uh, that's always my like uh, test for any dentist that I'm trying out is if when I go in, they're like, oh, you know what? you got to do this and this and this or blah, blah, blah. If they don't do that to me, then I trust them. But if they do do it to me, then I know it's bullshit. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So Get out of here. I am where I am today <laughs> with such terrible teeth. If you're I, in big teeth, if that's your industry, big teeth, <laughs> I want you to. I want you to take your phone. I want you to throw it into the sea. Exactly. And then I want you to follow it into the sea. <laughs> exactly. Why we do they have to you, throw their teeth. phone first? Why can't they just? Well, because they're listening to this podcast. And I don't <laughs> want their like last moments of life to be blessed by our voices. That's right. I want them to, I want the salt water getting in there. Mm-hmm. And I want, I want those whales that have been fucking people up in Majorca to come and dismember them slowly. Yeah. And if you're not near an ocean, just, you know, here's another piece of advice. Fill up your sink. Put your head in there and drown yourself. To yeah, death. do and and honestly, put a bunch of salt in there too. Yep, first. salt it up. Morton's is fine. Mm-hmm. They have mm-hmm. little sinks right next to them all the time, so this. Oh is yeah. Oh, oh you're so death. right. That's probably what they're there for, because they're like, eh, you know. I read once that dentists actually do have a very high suicide rate. So please, anyone who's a dentist, we love you. Don't listen. <laughs> I don't love you. <laughs> We don't yeah. love you. Give give Alex and his lovely family free dental, and then yes. we'll think about. Oh yeah, okay, yeah, sure, sure, sure. Good spin, yeah. good spin. There you go. Anyone, you can reach out to Alex at his details. Mm-hmm. Teeth are weird on the internet. teeth are weird. God, and that's what you know. I put teeth in the book. Just you got to give. I've got some creepy deer, creepy monkeys. They have really long fangs, yep. long as cigarettes, and. uh yeah. So if you're into teeth, but you're not a dentist, Sucker might be the book for you. And if you're into weird skin conditions, there's a monkey Ooh. with like a oh yeah skin beard type thing. It's true. It's, it's it true. is true. Really laying down the groundwork for this wonderful novel that everyone should read. Yeah, if you like getting spooked. Yeah. Also, laughing. I'm sure many of our listeners read Dan's first book, Via Negativa, a favorite. Honestly, but... statistically speaking... They probably didn't. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I mean, I'm sure many did. And I think one of my favorite things is reading somebody's work and then being completely surprised by what comes next. And lovers of Via Negativa are going to be, I think there's actually more connections between those two books than meets the eye, uh, between Via Negativa and Sucker. But there's such an amazing um, sprawl to this novel and sense of play and care for language that is present in via negativa and it has the same kind of um care for its wandering i feel like that is just special so if you love dan's first book you absolutely need this book as well well that's really sweet man thank you that was beautiful yeah, I think, you know, with the first book, I have a narrator who's like really trying to be good and is implicated in these institutions. 
And then this guy is like kind of his mirror image who is like born into evil, you know, and is part of those institutions. And, uh, but they're both, I think both narrators are kind of like monkish in their own weird ways. You know, they're both like into trying to cultivate creativity in funny ways, even though one is like a complete douchebag, I guess. <laughs> and that word pops up a lot in Sucker. I think Monk shows up like, (laughs) oh yeah. I think Monk shows up like four times. Oh wow! Um, There you go. Yeah, it's a great book. Dan, this was awesome. Thank you so much for coming on. This was uh, a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me, um, and thanks for coming out of retirement, Alex. That (laughs) it means the world to me. Um, But yeah, to both of you, it's like I I love the pod, and you know there have been times where I need some inspiration or. You know, I'm just thinking about a problem and I'll, I'll pop it on, listen to what Ling Ma has to say, what you guys oh, have yeah. to say, or, you know, J. Robert Lennon or whoever. You guys have had some amazing guests and you've done some great interviews. So I'm really honored. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Alex? Yes. Hello, I'm here. So. If you want... We can tell people what you're up to if you want to plug anything. Sure. Um, so let's see. What do I have to plug? By the time this comes out, my class will have already started, but I have another class um, coming up in October that we haven't announced yet. So I guess we'll soft announce it here that I'm co-teaching with uh, Monica Woods and Ooh. Lizzie Davis, the translator. And the whole idea of the class is to kind of get people um, who have maybe been in a creative funk or stalled in a creative project um, excited about reading uh, text again, prose, poetry, other, and kind of um, providing three different ways into getting really close to what you're reading and as a result, really close to what you're creating. So we're doing that from, from my perspective, from Monica's perspective and from Lizzie's perspective. So a translator and Monica's, you know, an agent, an editor, a writer herself. I am a writer and Lizzie's Lizzie's a poet and translator. And so just three very different approaches to that problem of kind of how, how to get reengaged, how to get excited about, um what you're working on and the texts we're using are the texts that get us excited uh when we're kind of stalled in a project and um so we'll be presenting those to to our students and it's not a workshop so there's like a very low bar to entry we're just trying to get people re-engaged with the text they encounter and so we're really excited to teach that class we don't even have a title yet but uh if you Look at the Great Place Books website. We'll have stuff up and on social media. And then um, my co-founder, Emily Adrian, is teaching a class on Alice Munro, um, where she'll be teaching, I think, four or five or three or four Monroe stories and um, just kind of going through those, doing close readings with the class. And so that is happening. We have a book up for pre-order um blocks world debut poet emma Catherine perry it's an incredible book that um combines 
uh, paying close attention to relationships with family, siblings, the natural world. Also, while um, taking a look at the way artificial intelligence informs that relationship. And it's singular. It's an amazing book. It's the first one that we are publishing and the first one that we were really excited about that came into our inbox. So that's available for pre-order through our website and will be available for pre-order through all channels in, I think, two to two and a half weeks. Today's July 8th, so very soon. Um, we have other titles that we will be releasing more information about soon. Um, I think that's it on the great place front. And then my book, um, True Failure, we pushed back the release date um, because we didn't want to deal with the election <laughs> oh, yes. uh, which is great it's a it's a positive so i'm excited about that so it's going to be february of 2025 um which is good i'm excited about it and that's kind of what i have going on in my writing life yeah that's it awesome well people have been wondering about you and how you've been doing so <laughs> this is good i know they're going to be so excited that you're on this episode um, everyone go to greatplacebooks.com, correct? Yes. Greatplacebooks.com. And then um, follow Alex on his socials so you can keep up with <laughs> when you can pre-order his novel. And I will also, uh, you know, hype that when the time is right. Thank you, Lindsay. This was fun. Dan's book really is special. I mean, he obviously is a friend of ours, but uh, it's such a special book. I feel like it's a big swing, as we talk about a lot of times with books, in a way that not a lot of uh second novels are it's great it's so fun and like it it, it feels like a like a big uh like swing that he took and he absolutely mm -hmm. connected yeah for sure so awesome well, all right thank well, you, Lindsay. we'll see you on the webs see you bud bye, bye. i'm a writer but is recorded by alex hickley and me Lindsay hunter in our respective basements editing by Lindsay hunter music by max loop